I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. English History Podcast, a part of the Agora Podcast Network. I'm your host, Heather Tesco, and I'm a storyteller who makes history accessible because I believe it's a pathway to understanding who we are, our place in the universe, and being more deeply in touch with our own humanity. This is episode 144, and it's on the freezing of the Thames and frost bears. It's not particularly apropos of the lovely spring weather that many of us here in the Northern Hemisphere are appreciating, but it's a fun thing, and I like fun things, so there we are. To shorten winter sadness, see where the nymphs with gladness, I recently read a book about the Little Ice Age. I'll link to it in the show notes this week at englandcast.com slash frost. And it talked briefly about frost fairs. And I'd heard of frost fairs. And, you know, the most famous ones happen that you see in the very evocative paintings. Again, I'll put some of those in the show notes. They happened after the Tudor period. So it wasn't something I really thought of that much. But I did decide to dig into it a little bit. and. I found out that, of course, the Thames has been freezing over from time to time since England first separated from the rest of Europe and the great river Thames became its own river instead of the tributary of the Rhine that once it was millions of years ago. Those of you who listened to the episode on London Bridge that I did back in, I think, like December will remember that I talked about the arches of the bridge and how it caused these massive rapids to form because it moved a huge amount of water into a very small area. And people wouldn't actually go under the bridge on the water if they could help it. They would disembark on one side, walk across, and then get back on the boat again on the other side of the bridge. Well, those same forces meant that the arches and their support bases would almost dam up the river. And so whenever there was a little bit of ice, what would happen is it would get stuck, and more would form because it wasn't moving, and more and more and more. Then you mix with that the Little Ice Age, which, depending on who you speak to, happened either for 300 years or 500 years, and you have a perfect situation that would lead to the river freezing a lot. 
Now, it's interesting to note that the climate wasn't just much colder then, because there were also warming periods where you could actually cultivate vineyards in England and cherries grew in Durham. If anything, maybe the temperatures were more extreme. But there's no doubt that winters were colder on both sides of the Atlantic. For example, the Native Americans changed their lifestyle too. The Cree gave up farming corn and went back to hunting bison, for example. And Iceland was cut off completely from the Atlantic by sea ice and had a famine because of the loss of cod fishing. But back to England. The Thames was a wider river then. It flowed more freely. There wasn't as much embankment like there is now. So it would freeze up and life would move on to the frozen river. And today we're going to talk about some of those times in the Middle Ages and the Tudor period when the Thames froze and people took their fun and activities and their lives to the river. Now, when you first start to research frost fairs, you hear about the very famous one in 1608. But that, of course, surely was not the first time that the river had frozen over and people moved to it to enjoy winter fun. There's a book that I'll link to in the show notes for this episode called Famous Frosts and Frost Fairs in Great Britain, chronicled from the earliest to the present time by William Andrews that outlines the history of frost and freezing, hence the title. It's free to read online at, I believe, the Internet Archive, and it lists the dozens of recorded long frosts and freezing of the winters, as well as whether they were followed by famines or hunger or not. Honestly, you should read it. It's amazing. It's a very short book and you can just kind of scroll through it, but it's really cool. So really one thing we start to get into is what is the definition of a frost fair, right? The 1608 one is the first time that we see the words frost fair used to describe winter fun on the frozen Thames. But the river was frozen for nine weeks in AD 250, and there were gatherings and sports on the river at that time, according to eyewitness accounts. The chronicler Thomas Tegg reports that the Thames froze for over six weeks in 695, and booths to sell goods were built on it. Then again for 13 weeks in 923, and then notably in the reign of King Stephen in 1142. Now, some of you will know about the reign of King Stephen, and he was fighting against his cousin Matilda. And this was the civil war that was ended when the first Plantagenet king, Henry II, brought an end to it, right? And I think it's very interesting to think that the Plantagenets, their reign was bookended by civil wars. They ended a civil war themselves, and then they ended in a civil war 300 years later. Isn't that interesting? But I digress except for the fact that the freezing of the Thames actually played a part in that war because it allowed Matilda to escape the siege of Oxford across the frozen river. So there you go. Now in 1309, we have a very detailed account. People built fires and played sports on the frozen river for several weeks. One chronicler, he's supposedly a fishmonger and alderman called Andrew Horn, he wrote, There was such cold and such masses and piles of ice on the Thames and everywhere else that the poor were overcome by excessive cold, and bread covered with straw or otherwise protected was frozen so that it could not be eaten unless warmed. 
The crust of ice on the Thames was so thick that men could travel to London from Queenhithe and Southwark and Westminster. And it lasted so long that people put a piece of leather in the middle and wrestled on it by a fire they made and caught a hare on the Thames with dogs. The London Bridge only survived after great danger and damage. It's probable that frost fairs became fashionable as more Flemish immigrants came from the Low Countries. Frost fairs had been very common and popular there. And how much this contributed to their increased occurrence as opposed to the changing weather is something that we actually don't have that much data about. Additionally, a fair wasn't held every year that the river was frozen. In the winter of 923, chroniclers write that the river held loaded horse carts traveling back and forth for 13 weeks, as well as in 1150 and 1410, but neither year records a frost fair to go along with that. Sometimes one of the reasons was that there was a shortage of fuel or supplies in part because of the frozen river. So boats carrying supplies weren't able to get to London. And so you wouldn't waste your supplies and your fuel by building a fire on ice. And then in one year in the 18th century, there was plenty of ice and plenty of supplies. But there was also a flu epidemic that killed 40,000 people in London. So nobody was playing on the ice there. In the 16th century, the Thames froze over maybe a dozen times, and chroniclers like John Stowe and Lord Hall and Hollinshead mark it down and talk about it. There are a few notable years to talk about here. In the winter of 1536, Henry VIII was forced to change his Christmas procession because of the ice. Now, normally, what was tradition was that he would have gone by barge down the river from Westminster, stopping at St. Paul's before heading to Greenwich. But that year, the Thames was frozen so solid that he and his family, which included his new wife, Jane Seymour, and his daughter, Mary, who was now back in favor, they were forced to ride on horseback. Now, at that point, after they get to St. Paul's, some people, some historians believe that they rode on a sleigh across the frozen Thames to continue on their journey to Greenwich. And it's a wonderful sight to imagine Henry VIII and James Seymour with jingle bells and everything like that at Christmas time. But chronicles don't actually specifically state that part. So it's a little bit of conjecture, but it is nice to think about. In 1564 to 1565, there was a very severe winter. And both John Stowe and Hollins had talk about this winter. Now, apparently, the frost continued to such an extremity that on New Year's Eve, people went over and along the Thames on the ice from London Bridge to Westminster. Some played at the football as boldly there as if it had been on the dry land. And the people, both men and women, went on the Thames in greater numbers than in any street of the city of London. On the third day of January, at night, it began to thaw, and on the fifth, there was no ice to be seen between London Bridge and Lambeth, which sudden thaw caused great floods and high waters that bear down bridges and houses and drowned many people in England, especially in Yorkshire. There is also a tradition this year, in 1564, that Queen Elizabeth walked on the ice and actually practiced archery on the ice. In 1607, there was another very harsh winter, and I'm going to bring this back to my favorite Tudor woman, Bess of Hardwick, 
So there's a tradition in Derbyshire that Bess of Hardwick, apparently a fortune teller, told her that her death would not happen as long as she continued building. And supposedly that's one of the reasons that she was such a great builder, making Hardwick Hall and Chatsworth two of the most you know, wonderful stately homes in all of England. So she died in 1607 during this very severe frost. The workmen couldn't continue their labor, although they did try to mix their mortar with hot ale. Apparently, people believed that things like that could add to the durability of the mortar, but the workmen were not able to do that in 1607, and Bess of Hardwick died, thus making the fortune teller true. Now that takes us to 1608. That was the year of the first frost fair when activities included dancing and football and bowling and gambling and barbers selling fruit, shoemakers, pubs, all kinds of stuff. It was a mix between a party and a rave and everything on the river. Edmund Howes, in his continuation of the abridgment of Stowe's English Chronicle, 1611, says the following. The 8th of December began a hard frost and continued until the 15th of the same and then thawed. The 22nd of December, it began again to freeze violently. So as divers persons went halfway over the Thames upon the ice and the 30th of December at every ebb for the flood removed the ice and forced the people daily to tread new paths, except only between Lambeth and the ferry at Westminster in which by incessant treading became very firm and free passage until the great thaw. And from Sunday, the 10th of January until the 15th of the same, the frost grew so extreme as the ice became firm and removed not. And then all sorts of men, women, and children went boldly upon the ice in most parts. Some bold and danced with other variable pastimes, by reason of which concourse of people were many that set up booths and standings upon the ice as fruit sellers, victuallers that sold beer and wine, shoemakers, and a barber's tent. It also states that the tents had fires in them. The artichokes in the gardens around London were killed by frost that year, and the ice lasted until the afternoon of the 22nd of February. So it was very frosty. <laughs> There was another very famous frost fair, perhaps the most famous in 1683 to 1684, but that's a little bit late for my time. So I'm just going to have resources that you can read and link to that again at the show notes, englandcast.com slash frost. Now I should note in closing that while the frost fairs were fun for the watermen and the boatmen who worked on the Thames, they meant a loss of profits. And so when the river was frozen, they would actually walk around London dressed in mourning outfits. So that's it for this week. There are so many great books and articles on frost fairs as you start to dig into them. Many of them are freely available online through the Internet Archive. So again, I'll list them all, englandcast.com slash frost. Do let me know what you thought about this episode. Get in touch with me through the listener support line at 8016-TESCO or through Twitter at Tesco or Facebook.com slash EnglandCast. Thank you so much for listening. Please continue to stay safe and stay well, and I will be back again in two weeks. Bye-bye.
Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health-monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.